right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance, and today's podcast is here in Deer Valley Hotel slash Water Park, and this is the Mission 24 to kick off the entire season. And we were, we yesterday we were at Vortex Arch or Vortex, and did a tour. Had Mission Barbecue, which is the first time ever having it. I've been people have been raving about it for for years, and it's like. Living in La Crosse, we don't have one. I'm hoping that because there's a lot of open spaces that that uh, a lot of restaurants went under because of 2020 through 2022. So now it's like hopefully they'll, they'll bring one to it because it's like it'd be good to have another good solid barbecue place that we that that we desperately need. Because all we have is Famous Dave's, and it's like it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. And uh, so my guest today is John McLean from Appleton. Yep. We met last year at the Appleton shoot. And we've been corresponding through Facebook Messenger throughout the hunting season and such. We talked about your gun season. And um, I want to get to know more about John here. But a good way for those who want to find out more about John is also go listen to the HJ USA podcast with him as with Chris Ham. And you'll be able to get more of a backstory about him and how him and Chris met. But now this is about John and myself. So John, tell me about yourself and your your early years of being getting into hunting and like some really fond memories of your youth yeah thanks jeff uh so i've been hunting you know i since i was a kid i I remember being a young boy well before i was able to hunt uh going along uh growing up the hunts that i knew at least far as deer hunting went it was deer drives that that's what it was been there i know exactly what you what it is that that's that's what it was so i mean as a young kid, it wasn't really posting up. You were walking through the woods and hoping to kick out the deer for everyone else who was shooting. So, uh, but that's I was doing that before I could legally hunt uh, for many years, um, and then that was really the only hunting I knew probably until my mid-teens. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was sometime in my mid-teens. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but um, we would we would actually go over to the western side of the state. Um, we'd head over to Buffalo County. Uh, and hunt some public land over there for opening weekend. So that's that's where we would, would go. Um, and that was yeah. actually kind of my first experience with, you know, going, trying to set up in a spot that had some good deer sign, whatever it was, you, wherever we sat, hoping that the deer would actually come to you instead of just trying to get them moving. So it was a different style of hunting. And Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar yeah. with it, too. It's like I, I shot one of my biggest does from a deer drive and then – my best, my good friend, he shot a, his one of his first, or one of his favorite bucks he ever shot, stuff like that from that one deer drive. This was ten years ago yeah. when we did that, so it's like it, it's a, those fond memories. And getting back, so you did a lot of pushing when you were younger. Did yep. you push any impressive bucks up to your family? Uh, I don't recall personally pushing any out. I, I know we were part of a larger group, so um, it was my dad and. and People that we knew through church, okay. primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we at, at the height of it, I remember being a part of a group of, you know, 20, 20-ish guys okay. that were going out and, and hunting. So, um, I don't remember any specific deer that were pushed out at that time. It, it was always just, you know, what I remember more is actually the, the end of it. Um, we never really had a traditional hunting camp with that because it was all immediate around town there. It was all local. Um, but... What we did do is after every drive or after every day of hunting, the deer would all go get hung up in, in a barn and come Sunday, the second Sunday of Wisconsin gun deer season, it was butchering day. 
So you'd have anywhere from 15, 20 deer or however many we had, and you'd have a whole group of guys, and that's all we did all day Sunday was sit there and, and cut them up. And that's that's really where a lot of my memories come from that uh, that time was that shop. And, you know, as, as a crew, you got guys over here skinning, you got, got other guys quartering, and you got guys taking out the roasts and steaks, and then you got other guys cleaning up rib cages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's 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 what what I remember a lot of uh, from when I was a kid, at least. That was the same thing growing up too, as well, because it's like my it, my dad only hunted muzzleloader season, very very end, because his company was shut down from Christmas to New Year's. Okay, and so that was his hunting time. But he, the you weren't kids weren't allowed to come. You could be there at the party and stuff like that and the butchering and stuff like that, but that was something that was not allowed at that point in time just because it's like they, 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 they didn't want to have to worry about a young kid being cold and being miserable in the whole process. And the heat hot hands we have today was not like what they had back in the mid-90s when I was growing up and such, but those yep. are my fondest memories too. Like watching the guys that there be – one guy coming through, picking up all the meat, will be one and, and cleaning it off, pulling all the hair off. Another guy cutting all the uh, silver skin off. Yeah. And there's another guy cooking. Like there'll be, there'll be when the back straps will be coming off. They'll be cutting that stuff up. Or when they when they actually got into it and start cutting out the medallions on the inside of it, man, those, that was probably by far my. It's still my favorite cut of meat, <laughs> just because of just, it's just so so tender. And it's yes, like, that's probably the slowest piece of meat I used to to, to cut out because to make sure my knife my Play knife is razor sharp and slowly work that muscle out off that bone, yep. and then grilling it up or sautéing it or wrap or dipping it in flour and throwing it in. Dude, it's just it's <laughs> it just hits differently when, especially when you have the smell of the firm and the smell of the meat being cooking. It's like you, you it's just you can't get any more Midwestern than that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's it's they're great memories. They are yeah, for they really sure, are. for sure. Um, as I got a little bit older, that that group that we would hunt with, actually, you know, I don't. The group didn't really split up, but it just you have some guys who maybe aged out of it, or they stopped hunting for whatever reason, or okay. a couple of them moved away, and so that group got smaller over the years. Well, that was also around the time where I started actually hunting more with the the still hunting, if you will, okay. uh, sitting in a stand. We also gained access to some private property on the western side of the state, so which changes the strategy a little bit too. We hunted in, in accordance with the landowner's wishes, um, and that's actually where I got my my first buck and actually a few bucks off of that property. Um, we hunted there for a few years before I actually saw a buck during rifle season, but when I finally did, I, I remember... Uh, I was actually sitting down in the bottom of this uh, large bowl. So there was like a pond and then there was this giant oak tree with a box stand. Um, and if you were facing out that with the pond deer back, there was this nice large cornfield in front of you. But that by the time deer season rolled around, that's all cut. And then it had hills around the whole side. It was this giant bowl and uh, the hills were all wooded. <coughs> Excuse me. But... I remember seeing off on my right-hand side, um, just happened to catch a glimmer of white walking through the woods. And I, I put up my scope, and I hear his, his antlers were so white. His, that's how I spotted him over on the hillside. And uh, I, I just sat there watching him, and I didn't really know what to do. I just finally saw a buck during gun season, so I was just happy about that. And 
And I'm like, well, I've got this grunt tube. Let's just blow on that a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I, I blew on it. And he didn't come running or anything. But instead of staying in the woods, they actually did come out and cross over the open field. And uh, I ended up shooting twice. And my, my first shot, I, I hit him probably mortally because he turned around and started coming downhill. And then that second shot, I dropped him. And there he lay. And they got a, an eight-pointer that's now a Euro mount on, actually still on my parents' wall. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was, that was actually my, my first buck was on this piece of a couple hundred acres private property that my dad had gained access to and a friend of his. So we got to do that. And then a couple of years later, uh, probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite deer hunting stories was... Uh, we were getting ready for opening day, you know, gather up as a group the night before. Okay, I'm going here. You're going here. Well, one of the guys who was supposed to come hunt, he ended up going out and wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be hunting um, for whatever reason, opening morning. And so instead of me going to the spot I was originally going to, the landowner said, well, why don't you go to this stand that he was going to go to? Um, I had never been to the stand. I wasn't familiar with, with it. And so he described where it was, gave me a few points of interest to look for and started working my way towards the stand. And it kind of got to the point where I thought I followed everything to a T, but I, I just had to sit down on the ground on the general hillside because I'm like, the sun was just starting to come up, but I had not found the stand. So I'm like, instead of continuing to move around, plop my butt down and wait for some daybreak. And of course I was only 20 yards from the stand. <laughs> I turned around and it's like, oh, well, there it is. <laughs> But um, so I climbed up in the stand. It was clear. It was daylight. And so I'm, I'm late to the stand. Right. And sitting up there, not really seeing much, not not a whole lot's going on. After a little while, I'm just listening. And it's one of those things where you, you think you hear something and you kind of turn around, not finding anything. Hear something again. Well, after hearing it a couple times, finally, I, I kind of look back over my shoulder and here there's there's two does and uh, this real large buck. Uh, they're, they're just feeding along the hillside, just meandering through the woods. And they came up within 25 yards behind me. Um, so they came up straight behind me. And they ended up going downhill, which would have been to my left. And they started going down and they were probably about 50 yards away they actually moved away from me a little bit but downhill and he was quartering away and got the got the rifle shouldered i was looking through my scope right over the vitals safety off pull the trigger and click and i was like what just happened okay and so my eyes are, are like bulging out of my head because i'm seeing this large buck he didn't hear it luckily <coughs> coughing a lot today but um so he didn't hear it i slowly pull back the bolt on my rifle i did have a shell in there and it put a dimple in the primer but the shell didn't fire couldn't believe it and by the time i was able to get another shell in there they had hopped down behind some brush they were maybe you know 75 80 yards away at that point and i did not have a clear shot and the direction that they were going was actually kind of towards the direction where my dad and sister were sitting. And so I sent them a quick text message that, hey, there's a really, really nice buck headed your way. And um, 
after they disappeared from view, I pulled out that handy grunt tube that <laughs> I started using during gun season and um, let a couple grunts go and then just sat there. And about 10, 15 minutes later, on the same level on the hill, all of a sudden I see antlers coming through the brush. No kidding. Yes. He's coming straight at me. On the hill, and I'm, no way. Like, I didn't know if it was the same buck at first until he got close. And I'm like, yeah, it's the same one. And uh, so he actually circled around and, and was coming back right on my level. And he comes up and he turns broadside. Oh. And I was like, oh, money. Mm-hmm. Scopes on the vitals. Pull the trigger. Click. No way. Twice uh, in a row? Twice in a row. I was just, and at this one he heard. And he's staring me down. And I'm like, oh, my God, this deer. He, like, I'm busted. There's no way I'm getting this guy. And he uh, he stared me down for what felt like an eternity, right? Well, he ended up, he was a little skittish, but he wasn't spooked. And so he started going up the hill kind of at an angle, got behind some some trees that I was able to cycle another round. And I, I got another round cycled just in time for him to, to hit a clearing and my my vitals or my excuse me my scope hit his vitals like that and i just i yanked that trigger and my the gun went off and i was like well the gun went off i lost sight of him i'm like he's either laying up there dead or or he went over the top i, okay. I didn't see and so i i waited a little while and i sent my my dad and sister a message saying that was me that shot i don't know if i got him or not and um so Waited, I think it was like 20 or 30 minutes. Well, we, they ended up coming over to the stand and, and we walked up to the top of the, up the hill where, where he was when I shot. He's laying right there. Just beautiful nine point buck that uh, my, my sister <laughs> at the time, she nicknamed Butch. <laughs> oh, no kidding. So Butch the buck is so on the wall now. Did she give you an explanation why she chose Butch or she just thought it was just she so a big burly buck i don't know where she pulled butch from but that that was the name um so but so not the highest scoring deer he was a nine pointer um very the largest buck that we have on the wall um but the body size on him he he dressed out at 225 oh he's a stud he was just a big he was heavy dragging downhill Oh man, I've been in your shoes, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that that was one of the one of the memories where it's like, yeah, it took me three shots to to get this one, and I somehow still pulled it off. <laughs> you know, it's it's just meant to be. I was uh, can't remember the gentleman's name. I was talking to him earlier today with Tyson and Kayla at the um, Blackhawk Bowhunters there in Verona, mm-hmm. and he was discussing. How it's like you, you brought up like the, the term you talked about God like it just it was just meant to be like the read the script and how it all worked out and such and yeah it's it's unique in how that all works because you never cause you can't determine how to buck how an animal is going to work out right and the fact that you were able to cycle two rounds and him not scamper off is amazing right you're in their de- you're you're in his backyard so that's pretty that was like it's I bet your heart, heart was just pumping oh goodness I I remember that that feeling you you're trying to hold steady when they're staring you down like you're already mad at the rifle because the round or mad at the cartridge because it didn't fire uh, so it's like what what's going on here but at the same time you don't want to make a quick movement because he's just staring into your soul <laughs> that's so true so that, that during that hunt what 
caliper were you using? So it was a 30 out six. Uh, it was a Savage Arms rifle that my dad had bought. I don't know, probably 10 years before he actually bought that rifle to go on an elk hunt out west. <laughs> you know, that 30 out six seems to be the, it's the go to, it's the universal caliper that just, it just, it, can, it takes down every single animal that walks this earth. Yep. I don't know about necessarily about a elephant, but I definitely know it's, it's either going to piss it off or you're going to drop it. One of the two. <laughs> one of the two. And it just all comes down to shot placement, obviously. But yeah, yeah. I have a 30 out six too, but. I haven't even taken. I've, I've shot it. I haven't even taken out gun hunting because like I've just I'm just um, so motivated for more bow hunting. Plus, yep. working with HHA and v, and veteran innovative products broadheads. It's like I just like the, the thrill of it. Plus, it's like with the nice thing with uh, Wisconsin, you can use either uh, uh, you the less you can use the lesser the weapon, lesser weapon, yeah. Which is which is nice to do. So this way, like with Iowa, when they go to gun season, you can't use a bow. Okay, you cannot use a bow. You can only use a gun. So and then. Then, like, first season gun, you then it has, like, a Wednesday, Thursday off, and then it opens back up for second season. It's, it's just, they're weird that way. Okay. And similar with, with Minnesota, too, you, do, you can do the lesser weapon as well. Yeah. But it's just nice that Wisconsin allows that to happen such. So, as you've, as you've matured some of that, and you, as you shot more bucks now and more deer, what got you trans, what, what flipped the switch to go to a very challenging weapon to use to take down animal. Yeah, so it actually, it's nothing that I really took up when I was younger, really. I mean, I was very interested in hunting. I enjoyed being outdoors. I loved all of that. But the the archery hunting, the first thing that really stuck out to me was the longer season and just the flexibility. Yeah, that's the exact same thing I chose for because it's a lot longer season. I don't really duck hunt or waterfowl. Yep. I do small game, but the nice thing is small game, you can do it after the season's over with. That's true. That's true. Um, but even, that alone didn't nudge me enough to actually start up doing it. Uh, really, the catalyst that kind of pushed me over the edge to finally jump into bow hunting happened to be uh, a team that I was on in, in my with my employer. Um, I was sitting in a cubicle, you know, a cubicle farm. They're yep, fun. Yeah, I, um, I worked in one too. <laughs> but either way... The, the three guys that were that I was sitting with were all bull hunters. And so, and I was a hunter. So, I mean, we got to talk, but I was the only one who didn't shoot a bull. And so we talked, we were talking about it more and more and finally convinced me to, to go ahead and go pick one up. And so, you know, I talked to my parents because I, I, they had an old bow sitting down in the basement and Cabela's had a trade in sale. And so I went and got 50 or 75 bucks off a new bow and, Got all set up and took up bow hunting. I ended up shooting a. It ended up being a fawn, but I got a fawn that year with the with the bow and the uh, the amount of adrenaline that flowed through my body body after shooting that fawn was ridiculous. Just that the shakes. I had the shakes so bad after that first first deer with the bow and um, man, I I it's so much fun. I love being out in the woods. A little bit warmer temperatures. Um, quieter. I really like the quiet side. Don't get me wrong. Opening morning of gun season, you hear the gunshots all over. That has its place, but there's something about being extremely quiet in the woods and just being able to think and enjoy the peace and quiet that uh, it's uncomparable to a lot of things. I agree, because I always find myself getting a little uh, jealous of uh, you hear the gunshots come off. It's like you, you hope you did enough scouting prior to opening day. And it's like everybody else's guns are going off. It's like, well, I got only a few more minutes. And it's like, because it, it, we, 
most of all that heavy action usually happens in those first two, one to three hours, and it's like you just kind of. And the worst part is you sit there until noon, and then you then you, you meet back up with the truck, and you ha- everybody has uh, lunch slash breakfast. Then it's like then we sit down, you talk about the drive, and you go yep. back and out. And I switched into bow hunting here in 2015, 2014, because I was bored of gun hunting. I, it didn't have. It was just. It was when the deer came out, you pointed and you put a good shot on it, and it did, they dropped, and it's like it's over with. But when you have an animal come in and you've got it, and every move counts, it's like that intensity just amplifies, and it's like you're you're, you're going back to your mind. It's like I feel like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles here from being trying to be ultra stealthy to be able to pull off the shot. Yeah. Well, another way that I that I've looked at it and it just kind of resonates with me is. When you are going out and rifle hunting, it has its difficulties. I don't, I don't want to take away from that. I mean, any type True, of hunting not. is it has its own difficulties. But it gives you such a handicap that you are interrupting the food chain almost. You're almost interrupting it. Whereas when you're going out and bow hunting, you're partaking in it. You need to be close enough to that animal to be a predator. Whereas when you're rifle hunting, you can be a couple hundred yards away. That deer doesn't even know you're there. I mean, whereas, I mean, you don't want them to know what you're there when you're bull hunting. But chances are they have some sort of sense that you're there or they know that you've been there at some point. Um, so it's it's very different, but you're it's almost like you're partaking in the food chain as opposed to interrupting it. That's a good perspective to have when a whole thing. I was like, I was listening to... Uh, T- Tyler Geiger off of the Montana uh, Mon- Knock Mon- Performance. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, and he was had uh, Austin Lester on his podcast, and and uh, I have had Austin Austin on my podcast, which I recommend going to listen to both of them because Austin's a very interesting character. We went to, went into the Navy, served our uh, country, and he and he got into the tactical realm when he got out. Just a fantastic photographer and videographer and stuff like that. He really gets himself into it, but. He was discussing like how being able to get out of his small town in Virginia to open up his perspectives and learning more, and he said that's really helped him grow as an overall, as a as a man, as a husband, and as a father. It's really kind of rounded some edges that you wouldn't have really received when you're if you were in a smaller community because you don't have the the experiences because you know what's in your world realm and that's it, and, you, and it's like it's very comforting. Yeah. Like for me, I've been all over the country. I lived in Vegas. Phoenix, Oregon, uh, hitchhike through all along I ninety I twenty five. So it's like I better I've seen a lot of cool, unique things that really appreciates why we have such a, an amazing country. But also there's a that when I was hitchhiking, I met a lot of wonderful people that God put them in my in my paths for a reason, and I got to have some amazing conversations. Yeah, and kind of yeah, like absolutely. why I continue doing the podcasting realm. Absolutely. Now it's you, it's funny how there's no coincidences, right? <laughs> we were talking last night because the unique thing about when you go to a, a HHA USA shoot, whether you get a hotel room or if you or you go there to meet up with friends, like you never know what kind of conversations you're going to interact with. So I bunked, I'm bunked up with um, Nathan and Seth. Okay. And we talked about philosophy, theology. We talked about politics. We talked about history. We talked about uh, Waco. We talked about Ruby Ridge and and like really those those pivotal moments about like how the government will 
actually do something to infringe upon you yep. and act like they're the good guys. And we, what really turned us all around is that we, it's, it's all of our journeys. We, we opened ourselves up about certain topics that we didn't think we'd ever come across just because we're, we all live so far apart. And the unique thing about when you go to your club and you go to these events, it's like you get to meet all kinds of unique people. And that's what really makes like these shoots, whether you're going to Red Mountain, Wishara, Wapaka, Toma, you're going to expose yourself to all these new people. And you just sit back and you listen. It's like it's just really cool to see what um, bow hunting really does as a culture in itself. It really brings everybody really close and stuff like that. Yeah. People from all different backgrounds. It's it's fascinating. And it, when, when you start talking to more and more people, too, you find out the different reasons why someone got into the sport, which is also fascinating. Uh, I mean, growing up, one of the default ways of thinking is, I mean, a, as a child who got into hunting early, you think everyone gets into it because a parent introduces them to it. But that's certainly not the truth. I mean, there's a lot of adult onset hunters out there. There's people who found it under their own uh, own fruition, other who friends introduced them, some maybe a co-worker introduced them. Uh, I think more with, you know, COVID, there were a lot of people who decided to go that route just to get outdoors and for food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's just fascinating why someone chose to t- take part in the sport and I mean, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have dwindling numbers at times. We need to make sure that we're we're getting everyone who wants to be involved involved. That is a that is a very valid valid point. And you are it is always fun listening to why people got into it. But I think a really good poll, especially for the onset adult hunters, is the culinary arts with it. We mm-hmm. have meat eater. We have um, myself and yourself too. You like to smoke meat. You like to grill us. We see all of us random people just like. Eating this delicious venison and people get curious. Yep. And that curiosity just leads into a very expensive habit. But the best <laughs> part is, though, it's like the, the upfront cost may seem outrageous, but the best part is, is like you can buy a bow going back to 2015 and you're just kind of split hairs between from then until today. Because there, yep. there, there's micro adjustments that each, each manufacturer is created with. And I was sitting there talking to, um, Oh, what was his name? He's the head of the president of S3DA. And we're discussing, like, there's so many bows out there. It's like, you, you think you're buying the best one based off the specs, but until you shoot it, yep. you don't know how it's going to make you feel. And it's like, the harmonics, the vibrations of it really play a valuable role in making that decision of investing that money into it. Right. And a lot of us, like, we, we once you start make, once you start taking something extremely seriously, you're going to look at valuable products for your arsenal because... You, we practice so we don't get it wrong. That's essentially what practicing is, and that's the best part about archery. You get to go pick up your ammunition and come back. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because shooting guns is expensive. Like, you, you, shoot, you and I both have 30 out sixes. That's $1.75, $2 a round right now. Yeah. It's hard if to you practice. Can find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've gotten, I've gotten to the point where I went and got one of those sharp sight mark laser things where you stick it down the barrel and you sight it in your scope just to save ammunition because it's, yep. it's so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to get out and practice. I mean, I've heard of some guys, you know, just grab the twenty two and just practice rifle shooting, which it's valid. It's valid, but it's different, too. Um, your body anticipates the, the explosion of a thirty out 6 compared to a twenty two way differently. <laughs> For sure. And dry firing a gun is a lot safer than dry firing a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Zero out of five stars. Do not advise. <laughs> exactly. I've had some people like uh, Jeremiah Hale. He came out from Indiana. And his cousin, David Garrett, he had a bow blow up in his hand because what had happened was Jeremiah was watching him, filming him. And right when he said, you don't have it right where you're about ready to say it, he let the, let the string oh, go and no. it just blew up the bow in his hand, something like that. Luckily, the limbs were fine. The cameras were fine. Just the string, just it was just done. Yeah. And so Tyson got them all squared away and got them all set up and stuff like that. And then yep. I didn't see. I don't know if Tyson gave a gave a bow away to a, an EMS or firefighter or a, a veteran today. So I'm not sure if that's going to be tonight for a ceremony or if that's going to be uh, tomorrow. So I don't no. know. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, neither am I. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I only. I only saw Tyson and Kayla very briefly. I, okay. I didn't get to talk to them. They're actually staying here. They're staying here. They're actually just down a couple down rooms. Down. I almost thought about texting them. It's like, hey, do you want to come and join John and I for a podcast? But. <laughs> Should we go knock on their door? <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts are they, they, they've been up as long as we have. They've yeah. been up since five or six, or 6 or 7 o'clock this morning. They were out. They, I think they, their tea time was 8.30 or 9 or something like that. They went out so, early. Yeah, so they got they, well, they booked early and stuff like that. And so they may be just resting because we have the concert, which I'm pretty excited about. Everybody's been raving about, um, uh, what's his name? It's Corey. Chris. Chris. C- Chris. Is it Chris Cousy? Cruzy. Cru- Cruzy. Cruzy. It's, that sounds right. It's K-R-O-E-S. It's unique spelling. But he's a local Wisconsin guy. Yep. He's a big supporter of veterans. He boat. I think he bow hunts, I believe. I believe so. And it's Chris raves about him and everybody that I've talked to. I haven't gone on to YouTube and listened to him yet, but, you know, they booked a... We'll hear a, him tonight. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and Lots of Matza is sponsoring the event for pizza, so pizza and a show. Hey, Lots of Matza... You could turn on the radio, and if Lots of Matza sponsored it, I might go. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very fair point. Have you ever been to Tyrell Basin yet? I actually drove out this morning before coming out to the shoot. Oh, good. Yeah, because I, I wanted to originally, when I was planning out this weekend, I originally thought of doing the the, uh, the Beast Mode Archery Endurance event. Uh, I was originally going to do that, but I, I did ultimately decided only to dedicate one day of the weekend. So I, I just went out there. Um, got to see Aaron, got to see a few other people, um, and then came out and shot. So, but yeah, well, so I, I was, I didn't get to walk around out there. I just got to see kind of from the, the chalet or, uh, just kind of looking out at what it looks like. So it is a very, very challenging course. I, uh, my first time encounter going out there was in 2019 before it was the week prior to beast mode. And I told uh, Brian, that I wanted to to experience it before the event, and oh man, that kicked my ass! That kicked <laughs> my ass. We walked the entire course, and we did training. You did me do the burpees and uh, everything. It's like these athletes that do this. It really takes your next level to the next. It takes your game to the next level, especially when you're out elk hunting or bear hunting or whatever you're going to put yourself into. And this, and the beast mode games are not just for out west hunting. It's to, those same principles can be applied to Midwest hunting, whether you're in Pennsylvania, Florida, and so even in Flatlander, because it's like it's the endurance, the mental fortitude, and dealing with the extremes. Because he did the quiver shiver yeah. uh, early back in January, so it was snowed on them. They were doing a five mile track or something like that. So if anybody has a chance to go check out the events, go listen to my podcast, go listen to. to uh, HHA USA's podcast with Chris and Brian and such. 
you get a really good chance to understand Brian's perspective, but he loves to torture people. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but every time you go it makes out you there, better though. It does. It really, really does. And it's, even when I did the uh, the Beast Mode King of the Hill 3D last year, and it's the last week of July for those who are wondering. It will, it will let you know how to improve upon yourself, what you're lacking on. And it's only in July, so you still have time to make those adjustments, those micro-adjustments in the gym or how you can make yourself better. But whether you're looking at you're struggling with the archery aspect of it or the fitness aspect of it or you're like you're recognizing you have bad knees or you push yourself, you found out you're, you have high levels of lactic acid or you found out like how beneficial first form is when you're going through a treacherous rigorous workout yeah what one thing i'll say though you know you talk about it makes you better just to clarify on that it makes you a better human being it's not just making you better at the skill i mean when when you're stressing your body and stressing your mind and being able to overcome that and knowing what you're overcoming and then being able to go about your day things that may have ticked you off earlier uh maybe days or weeks before they they don't bother you as much it's it's applying stress to the body and mind and being able to improve upon it. Very, very true. And what really cements beast mode from different everybody else is like, it's not a scoring system. It's either heart, lungs, or body shot. That's it. <laughs> he, he wanted people to think of this challenge as a means to thinking about how you're going to react in the field and such. And the shots that you take, the average shot was like 61 yards on the average overall. There's some that were in the 20s and the 30s and in the teens. But that was that, but really put you outside your um, comfort zone. And it's all novelty shots. It's a lot of fun. They had um, Vortex out there, first forum, and a bunch of other people out there too. So that's the best part about it. It's like it, it pulls you out of the norm. And it's like it, it, it's you're focused on having fun for the archery aspect, but really focusing on the fitness and being able to climb up, climb down, all that fun stuff. And he made some of those heart heart shots really difficult. Like they did one course where the heart, and then you have a, a tree. <laughs> so it's like you're talking a very small uh, room for air. Yeah. Now, I, personally, I haven't taken part in one of the Beast Mode events yet. Um, I'm hoping to do King of the Hill this year. I, I do want to do that. Um, but if I remember right, at least I don't know if this is for all of, all of the events or if this was more for the, uh, the endurance one. Um, but with the penalties that he was putting in there, if I'm not mistaken, he was putting a stiffer penalty for a body shot than a clean miss. Correct, he was. Yeah, it's which just, makes sense because mm -hmm. it's like it, not only like if you're in if you're out there in the world at a hunt and you put a body shot on something, you're gonna feel horrible. Yep. And so this just kind of gives you that mindset like now there's still a penalty towards even though you're shooting foam, yep. it's something else. Now, did you happen to go out to the skeet shooting for sporting clays today? You no, to I I didn't stop I didn't out there either. at all. I bet I was at the, I was at the uh, uh, Blackhawk Archer or Bow Hunters facility all day long, and uh, yeah, uh, but they still had a good turnout. People still still showed up, and yeah. we still seen over a hundred bodies, and then which is the best aspect of it. So moving on to today's shoot, what did you think of their course? I thought it was good. It, it was it was nice being able to. It wasn't a large area that you were walking through. But it was still impressive how you could see all these different, uh, all the different targets spread throughout. So I mean, it was it was a nice nice little course, uh, good way to start the season. I think so too. I would thought it was, it's a it's, it reminds me like of a par three nine hole course. 
hour and a half to shoot it very quick. But that's the nice thing is like you could do it again and not feel exhausted. Yeah. And you still they still had some forty plus yard shots out there. And then that turkey, that turkey shot number, I think that was number four. four yeah, it's number four, dude. That thing was that really throw people for a loop. But the nice thing is like if you know your site, like I was shooting HJ, so. Way Jake Mansell, he's the head of marketing. The way he explained it to me, he's like, wherever your pin is, put your pin and think two inches below that, and that's where your arrow's gonna go. So I sank it in the twelve. So it's like I'm alright with that. See, uh, the people in front of us, uh, someone had said, you know, dial your dial it to thirty or forty yards and hold an inch over or something like that. That works too. Yeah, which I, I think I ten ringed it, but when it's a foot and a half in front of your arrow. <laughs> At least that's what it felt like. Oh, man, <laughs> it was a weird shot. It, it definitely threw you for a loop because it's like, and plus it's also at, at, at a 10 degree angle, I feel I felt because the, how the lands uh, worked out, how the landscape worked in its favor. But it, it was, it definitely threw you for a loop. Now we both did the same thing. We both, <laughs> we both hit a tree. Yep. You actually stuck yours. So do you remember what, Hold, or what uh, target that was on? So I think the that was that was four. So the the one that you were talking about, the short turkey, mm-hmm. was was three. I three. think. And then, so then four and was the very next one. And that's when you. That's, that's when, when you, I killed a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the nice thing is we know a good uh, 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 a tree taxidermist, so it won't be taking too long to dismount it. You know. Yeah. Get out the chainsaw. <laughs> oh man! And see, what mine was is I I, I end up pulling or pushing my shot because it started. To, I started to get heavy, and instead of just letting it down, I hit that trigger, and it didn't destroy the arrow, which was nice. It, yep. didn't, it didn't bury it. It just kind of ricocheted off of it. Now, when you're shooting a, a fatter dynamic, it's like if, if you have the it's prone to do that. You're shooting the hunting, like almost like a hunting arrow. Yep. And the only thing I lost in mine was it, it blew out my knock. So it's like, well, these are an easy fix, and I'll, yep. I'll, I'll take it to a friend of mine that built the arrows for me and have him inspect it to see – if the shaft is destroyed or not, because like there goes like I'm thinking like there goes forty bucks. Oh, <laughs> right. man, PS twenty threes are so expensive, but they're fun to shoot. It was like I, you know, I've been shooting for so long. I said, like, well, I want to, I'm gonna treat myself, and I was all over the place. Yeah, I was it, it, like, if I was on the money, I was on. I, was, I had multiple twelves, <laughs> lots of tens, lots of eights, and, uh, and two fives. The two fives I did get is because my sweatshirt sleeve got in the way. But man, it was it, overall it was a very good course. I think it's a diamond in the rough inside Verona here. It's it's a very valuable course. It's so easy to get to. Yes. It's right off the highway. I I could not believe it because I told you earlier, I drive through that corridor multiple times a year. I didn't know that was there. I mean, it's less than a mile off the highway. You can hear the highway while you're on the course. Yeah, you can. (laughs) And they do a good job of creating barriers like that. So just in case you overshoot a target, you hit wood or hit hit a wood paneling slat. Yep. And it's it's inside of really nice. It has a nice canopy to it. We it was it was nice and comfortable today. Yeah. I'm sure if it's ninety some degrees outside, it's going to be a different story inside <laughs> that canopy. The water. There's no bugs at least today. Yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I would have liked shooting there come August or so. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And like with the the, the Toma Warrens, I believe that's the next shoe. That's in July. Yep. And that is, it has a beautiful canopy, but if the wind's dead, it gets smuggy. It gets muggy <laughs> in there. That's my home field now, so yeah. it's just really well done and organized. And plus, it's like we have opportunities to stretch your shots out to 60, 70, 80, even to 100 yards if you're, if you're feeling. But the best part is when you go to any club, you don't have to go to the tee box. If you want to back it up and you want to make your life difficult, right. you can do so. 
or you can take it into a nice thing. Like I tell people, like art or 3D shoots are, are golf for men. The best part is, is like the cool thing about it, a, a bow can provide food, can provide entertainment. And you can make money off of it, too, because there's some people out there that make a really good living off of being an archer. There are. There certainly are. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing. Oh, what was I going to say now? Oh, the course. You were talking about the course. Yes. Um, and, you know, there there were plenty of 30 and 40 yard shots, but there were a couple. I think there was, what, two or three shots that were pushing 50 over 50. Yeah. There were a couple close to 60. I don't think any any of them were over 60. No, they're really close. They're right I think there's 57. Yeah. I think I had at least one that was 57 that was I ran. Was that the moose? That was may like, have been. Yeah, or it was the caribou one. That moose was a fun one. All, what it, was the elk laying down? I think that was 47 or 48 yards. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Because they, they put they had both the, both the bedded bull elk the, and then they had a standing bull elk right yeah. next to each other. Right. And we were all three of us were trying to get a tried to take a picture of all the three of us go to 12s. It's like, like two would get a 12 and then one would get a 10 or. One would get a twelve, and everybody else would get either ten or an eight. Yeah. It was like we were all three of us were all over the place. It was <laughs> it was a very interesting day, uh, but we all had fun. It was just it was it was just out there to have fun. We didn't, it was a fun shoot. Yeah, foam was home. You yes. Know? Yeah. And oh, uh, Seth, even he had uh, his release clicked off, set off too early, and so it goes, there goes the air. <laughs> just, he just, just yep. jumps out, and then um, see, I had to settle in. Uh, the first half, I I was quite variable. I had. In the first half, I had two zeros, three fives, and a 12. Okay. The rest were eights and tens. Second half, all eights and tens. But nice. I, fi- I finally settled in in the second half. <laughs> now, do you use a back bar on your on your bow? No. No. Yeah, well, for the longest time, I actually ran no stabilizers. Then I switched to a six-inch stabilizer. Then last year, I switched to a front and a back bar. And then this year, I upgraded my back bar to the HJV bar, which unfortunately is no longer being manufactured, but right. you can still buy them out there. And I was playing around with it. I, that, I have a 10-inch front, an 8-inch back bar, and that balance. I shot, like, hitting, I hit so many, I hit more 12s than I ever thought of. Sure. And so it's it's just, it's just natural progression, getting all that, all getting the the muscles working. Because this is the first time I actually shot the setup. When I since I set, well, I shot a little bit this week, and once I got it in from the mail and started tweaking and such. But it's like if you get it down right, you don't have to worry about having tweaking in the riser where right. it just sets in your hands, and that's a really big thing. And I use my the, my elite that I shoot with. I use that exact same setup when I'm on hunting too. Okay. You, you keep the bars on there too. Yes, I do. Okay, I, I, I keep the back bar on there because you you don't. If you, this is the primary, if that if you're the bow you're using when you're out doing 3D, you don't want to make any changes because now your body is be developing a tolerance and the threshold of all stuff. And you make a change like that, it could throw off your entire equilibrium. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's I, I've I've heard of people doing that, but it's like I I'm just gonna stick with one thing and go from there. Yep. I thought about like I do the I do this to hunt. I mean that's why I do it. I'm I'm not doing it to kill foam. I'm doing it to kill animals. So <laughs> exactly like I'm the, I have the same philosophy like a lot of people do with like same with Chris. It's just I'm just out there to put in the vitals. If I'm hitting the vitals, that means I'm doing everything correct. Yeah, there was one shot. Uh, what was it? A wolf that was kind of quartered two. That was a weird shot. That, that was, was a weird shot, and so I got a five on that one based mm-hmm. on how it scored. But I looked at my arrow and I'm like, I would have double lunged that thing. It, it was like because it would have went right through that front shoulder, and it was. I'm like, I'm cool with that. I, I'm writing down five, but 
Yes. That's a 12 in my book. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a thought behind it. So yep. it's like you don't want to analyze the points. You're looking at the, the, where that shot placement, what the vitals would have hit, and stuff like that. So this way then if you – because we live in Wisconsin, you never know if you're going to come across some wolves, coyotes, bears, a big cat. We have all of those predators here in Wisconsin. We do. Yep. I, don't, I haven't hunted. I, I actually saw a bobcat last year, which was fun. Uh, I got to see a bobcat while deer hunting. This far, this <laughs> far north, because it's like oddly enough, like when you look at the, because like, it's, it's weird, because like for take for Iowa for example, like you have the entire state, but the entire two co- uh, counties, the bottom row of Iowa that like, just borders Missouri, those are the only places where you can trap bobcat in Iowa. Hmm. And so in, in here, it's like you go up north, you have links, some of that. But they're they're a very they're a very interesting cat. And yeah. they, they sound really weird. I've heard uh, my. Buddy's the dad. bobcat scream or something yeah, like that. That scream is just yeah. so weird. Yeah, such a weird scream. Because he was out walking, he came across a den and, and walk. He was he was hunting down there in Iowa season. There came close to the den, walking to his stand. And that cat just sounded off. <laughs> it is the. It, it's like he sat there and recorded it too. And like, but he, he he kept on moving. He just kept on walking. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you, you hear that for the first time. It's not something you're going to stand around and listen for. <laughs> exactly. And come to find out, she had a th- she had a litter of three. Okay. So it's like yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. So yep. she figured like, well, the scream will hopefully scare you away. Yeah. But it almost sounds. I I've only heard it. I've only heard it through the. A recording. I've never heard it personally, uh, but it, it, you hear it. And it's like I, I can imagine like people thinking there's a demon in the woods or something, <laughs> or, or, or like a screaming baby. Because if you're far enough off and you hear, it yeah, if off, you're far enough like the off, echo would, would, with a distortion, you don't know what you're actually hearing. Yeah. Now you've been uh, ki- killing it when it comes into weight loss. I mean, you, yeah, you, you, you told me a story today about. The, the starting weight you were you started at when you began the weight loss journey, yeah. and I don't even know where you're at now. So I'll let you tell the story details on that. Sure. Uh, so I am down right now a touch over sixty pounds. Congratulations, uh, thank man. Thank you. That's that's a lot of hard work. Thank man. you. So I I started. Um, I'll just go back to the beginning. So I've tried. I, I've been overweight since you know probably middle school. Um, I've been overweight most of my life. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that's. That's what I've known. And, you know, as I entered a, adulthood, um, I tried losing weight multiple times and each with some level of success, you know, I'd lose you know, 10 pounds here, 20 pounds uh, and all of it would come back. Well, all of those prior attempts were all focused on fitness. And it was one of those things where like, oh, I went for a mile run. Let's follow that up with some McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> well, as anybody who knows anything about fitness knows, you can't out-train a bad diet. Um, and That's so exactly right, yeah. uh, I've, I had multiple distinct attempts at weight loss. Well, December of 21, I hit my highest weight. I, the, my highest weight that I remember seeing on a scale was 304 pounds. That, that was my, my high. And so I, I hit that. In December of 21, at that time, my wife was eight months pregnant with our second second girl. So I had a, a second child coming within a month, and I had asked for a couple sweatshirts for Christmas, a couple different sweatshirts, and I ended up getting them. And I had asked for them in a two x two x size, and I got two different ones. One. Um, one was Vortex, 
One was vo- uh, a Vortex sweatshirt. And when I put it on, it was a 2X sweatshirt. I put it on and it was like I was putting on a base layer. Like it just stuck to me that I think it was one of the performance or athletic fit ones. But still, I mean, it just getting in my mental head of like, I here I got a 2X sweatshirt and it, I can barely fit into it. And it just started playing mind games with me. It's like, I've got a second, my second kid's coming any day now. Um, and it's like enough and is enough. I need to do something and I need to do different than I have in the past. And so to start off the new year, I didn't really want to advertise it as a, as a new year's resolution or anything. I did start at the beginning of the year, um, just because there's something in my brain about having a solid starting point, whether that's a Monday or the first of a month or a first of a year. But, um, my first goal, I was working from home at the time and, we live a mile down the road, less than a mile down the road from two different gas stations, three different fast food joints, and a grocery store. So it's, there's no shortage of food with easy access. Correct, yeah. Um, and so we were, or I, me personally, I was eating food either going to a restaurant and picking up food, going through a fast food drive through or grabbing something from a gas station, two meals a day, maybe even three meals a day, multiple times a week. So that was one of the biggest problems and I knew it. So my very first goal when I started, when I finally got over the mental side of it and it's like, all right, I need to do something. First step, prepare everything at home. I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter what I'm going to eat. Just do it at home. I, I, that first week I bought some frozen pizzas. I bought some, you know, deli made food that I had to heat up in the microwave. Didn't matter what I ate. It was pick it up. Has to be either heated or cooked at home. And that's what I did for the first week. Well, my daughter was born on the 7th. Um, and so it, that was that was the first week. But the first meal that I had that wasn't prepared at home was what we had in the hospital <laughs> well, after she was born. So, um, But that was kind of the, the start of it. Um, that was step one. And then I just started focusing on making, health, making healthier choices. Um, I actually ended up connecting with, um, I had reached out to Dan Staten of uh, Elk Shape. I, but, I have two more mics if you want to jump on, Aaron. Hey, you, you should come sit down. It's time for an ice bath. And get for tonight. Ice bath? You don't have time for an ice bath. Oh, yes, like 15 minutes. <laughs> Hell yeah. <that's, laughs> I, I would love to sit down. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here all weekend, so we, we can definitely make it happen. Okay. I appreciate it because yeah. I, like, I want to hear more about I listened to all your podcasts with Chris. Let's just start listening to you with, with Al, too. It's like it's really inspirational what you have going on with Limitless Outdoors. I mean, it's just fantastic. And I was looking through like your all the stuff that you were putting together as a boat package. Like, I want to include something in this. And like the one thing I was going to do, it's like we already found somebody to fix that problem. So I was like, well, I can't do that because I was looking about I wanted to get a Lakewood case to include with it because it's like I love Lakewood cases. They're 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 so worth it, especially for you're getting somebody that's going to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast. It's just it just that travel the TSA approved. It's a it's a game changer. Hey, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm excited for tonight. I am too. I am too. It was this morning. You had barely begun, man. It was around lap two, I think. It was great to see you around lap two. Oh, you competed? I didn't compete. But you walked it, ran it. I did the eight hour challenge. How many did you get done? I did five. Five. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm going to go take a nice bath. All right. You do do that. All right. We'll see you later, man. So so you may have, the folks that are listening to this podcast may not be in her, but Aaron Ritter is a. Uh, veteran 
Yep. Uh, he's been on. Uh, he started his own podcast. He's he's uh, has two or three parts or episodes with on the HJ USA podcast. Yep. And it's it's really Sprocket and Chubbs. Yes, yeah, Sprocket and Chubbs. There we go. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. And go check out their podcasts on all major platforms. But what really triggered, like, really like, like, really appreciate what he's doing, Limitless Outdoors, and like, really going and trying to encompass everybody that has, um, is this like has a uh, an amputee, a, amputee. And his whole program, like his his approach to it, is just fantastic. And the best part is like he asked a whole bunch of people like how to really work this out. And he really was very curious about what it should do, how how many pages they should write about it, and then the whole grant process. I think it's it's really fantastic what he's doing to be able to pay that forward for somebody else to get into it that may not be able to afford a boat or don't think they could do it and then it's just like for him it's like it's just a, a motivation it's like nope you can do it uh, like you're gonna yeah. you're, you're, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to get you out into the world of archery and show you a brotherhood or sisterhood yeah that you never thought was there yeah yeah well they gave away or I should say he gave away um, a bow last year. Correct. Uh, package last year. And then I think him and Al, so Sprocket and Chubbs, mm-hmm. teamed up and um, they gave uh, a young man a bow too. What was that, last fall, I think? I believe so. And then they're going to they'll be announcing the grant winner tonight. Yep, that's the A3G initiative. Yes, A3G yep. initiative. And uh, there's go check it out. Love the, um, this podcast will be released after... The event, so you have to go check out Spock, Sprock and Shrubs. I'm sure those guys are going to talk about it on their podcast, and there's, I'm sure it's going to be on HUSA. It's going to be on the social, so you'll be able to find out everything and how to be how to find out more about the pro- the project. And you may know somebody that could be a good recommendation for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like Andrew Andrew Mack or something like that. I think. Um, how what's I think I'm mean, pronouncing Andrew's last name incorrectly, but he's he's an amputee. He lost his right he- arm or left arm or something like that. Yeah. And so he, he can draw, and he draws back with a Massick. Massick, there we go. Andrew Massick. Yeah, he, 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 was, uh, he would, would have been to this event, but he is now relocated down to Missouri. But watching him shoot at Appleton and watching him draw back his bow and just, just driving, I mean, he is very dedicated for it. He is an inspiration for those that, that may have some self-doubt about the uh, getting into archery. You yeah. could definitely do it. I mean, even uh, Remy Warren, he had surgery on his hand or he had some type of surgery on his draw arm on his right hand and he learned how to draw his bow back by using a mouthpiece and yep. and just it's just not giving up not quitting right yeah it's a, it's a unique talent i mean when you think about drawing back it seems like something that would be really weird but for some people that they don't have a choice correct so we can let's let's get we'll, we'll turn back to your weight loss journey and you were explained to like yep. when your daughter was born you had all the all the available fast food that you needed, and you then you got to the point where now it's like I'm gonna start preparing at home. Yes. Yep. So that I mean that was step one, um, was just prepared at home. That that was the first step I did. Um, and so for the, those first two months, uh, so January February, it was you know prepare all the food at home, just making better choices. I don't have to knock it out of the park. Just better choices about food. Um, I also started doing just a, a very simple at-home workout that I found online. So it was nothing elaborate. Um, but that, that was how I started. And the other thing that I did do in January of that year was I actually reached out. 
uh, Dan Staten of Elk Shape. Um, I had reached out to him just asking for, you know, opinion. I'd be like, hey, I, I do have this goal of going on an elk hunt. Um, that's not why I'm losing weight. I, I, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. That's they're really they're my leading star, if you will. Um, that's why I choose to do what I do. Um, but personally, I, I want to go on an elk hunt and I feel that my weight is a limitation to that right now. Um, and so we connected and he, he actually asked if we could record a podcast and, and he gave me some recommendations as to what to focus on from a diet perspective. Um, and so it, that was a macro based plan. Um, and, and I followed that for, I don't know, quite a, a few months where I didn't, I never followed it perfectly. And here, here's the one thing for anyone who's doing something, consistency is better than perfect. Doing something, if you can be consistent 60% of the time, six out of every 10 meals are, are good. And the other four are maybe subpar or what you're used to do. That's 60% better than where you were at. That is in, a very good philosophy. In most cases. Yeah. So you, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be consistent. Um, and so most of the time when I was following his plan, I wasn't doing it every single meal of the day. I was doing it. You know, I typically I was eating four meals in, in a day, so I would do it two or three meals. And then the other one was, you know, whatever I was eating with my family. And, and that's how it was. Uh, and it, it worked great. It worked phenomenal. Um, and I wasn't working out a whole lot. I was doing some workouts. Um, but again, it was just the at home stuff. I keep in mind, I have a newborn. Uh, so I mean, it's, I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of sleep to function off of. That's, that's very true. <laughs> and you don't know, have one child, you have two. Yes. Yes. I had, had two. Luckily the other one, she was in school. So we were able to drop her off, but, uh, still, so that's, that's, uh, where I was at. But I also, now I think it was a perfect blending of storms, if you will, because the fact that I, I, through my employer, I did get some good paternity leave, uh, which certainly appreciated. Um, that allowed me when she was sleeping, one of the things that I dove into, I actually spent a lot more time watching cooking shows and home cooking specifically, not just cooking fancy food, but just home cooking techniques and different things that you can do um, for as simple as, you know, buying a whole, chi- a whole chicken and breaking it down yourself and then how to use the different pieces for different meals. Just something as simple as that, which you, you think is something that a lot of home cooks should know, but I think a lot of people don't. I mean, they're, they're either going to buy your boneless, skinless chicken breast and cook that up and they'll buy the other stuff for if they're actually cooking something specific. That is a good point. Like, I grew up on a farm, so it's like, not necessarily, not necessarily a hobby farm, but it's like growing out in the country. One of the aspects when I was growing up as with my mom and my dad before they got divorced was that was a, a, like venison. Having wild game was a common staple, but it's like but learning how to break an animal down was a, was a big attribute for it. And it's intimidating because it's like you don't know what you're doing because you're staring at your plate at this carcass. Mm-hmm. How do I break it down? How to break the breastbone? It's like that's the best part about it. 2023 instead of 1995 it's like you now have youtube yep and tiktok and youtube shorts and, and you and uh, instagram yeah and you can find a thousand different videos showing you how to do the same thing that describe a hundred different techniques 100 percent, 100 find the one that works for you that you can remember and do it yes yeah doesn't need to be perfect <laughs> uh but so that, that time allowed me to get some new skills as it pertained to cooking and preparing food at home. So that really helped in the weight loss side of things too. Now, fast forwarding a little bit to May, um, 
in prior weight loss attempts, I had mentioned it was all fitness based. And so one of the things that I'd done was CrossFit. Um, I had done that previously as the one type of fitness that I actually enjoyed going back to, um, even though it kicked my butt every time. And so I, I went back to the gym that we were part of prior to COVID um, coming into everyone's lives. And so I started there. And so that's what I was doing last summer. And I actually hit a low weight um, around my lowest weight since I was married. And so in, in August of last year, so August of 22, I got down to, I think, 258 um, is what I was down to from 304 the prior December. Um, and that was pretty much the lowest I had been since my wife and I had been married. Um, and we, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary last summer. Thank yeah. you. That, years that, is, I couldn't believe it. Like my wife and I were doing, and we're, we're, at, we've been together for seven years or six years, six or seven years, but we've been married for four or nice. three, three years. We've been together. It's like, it all blurs together. So yep. it's like, I just like, we're just together. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's been, uh, 10 years. Actually, it was on my 10 year anniversary that I met Chris. That's right. That, That's it was, right. That was that was why we were out. Um, so, but aside from that, um, so that was August. And then I kind of went into the, just kind of a holding pattern. I mean, when it gets to fall time, you're hunting, everything's going on. It's, it's a very busy time. And so it was more of a, a holding pattern. I, I was like in the 260s to 265, just kind of hovering in that pattern mm. until the probably the end of the year. Which makes sense because I was going through. I was working out consistently. I was, I dropped down into the two eighties and the and the high two seventies. Yep. And then October hit. Then then hunting season started hit happening. Yep. And the tra- traveling to hunting and driving back and then and wife and I always wanted to make food and she's like, well, you're in town, pick something up and it and it yep. just escalated and it's like then I ended up getting hurt. Then I ended up during thanksgiving i slept on a couch and they messed up my back okay. to the point where it's like it, it reunited my hip injury which was a good thing because now i've, I've, I've continued to seek professional help for it and I'm, I'm i'm feeling better about it it's like i didn't realize that i had a bunch of pinched nerves in my in my legs and my lower back and i've, I've sought some really good help for it and i found a a, a practitioner that specializes in hip and lower back. So he's given me a whole bunch of stuff before we hit record on what I've pro- progressed with. So I, I'm now I'm able to go into a catcher stance and not have my right leg go numb. Or if I'm yep. laying in bed with my wife and just snuggling, because yep. like before we'd be sitting there in bed and she'd be snuggling up and like if I laid my leg straight, if I didn't move it, it would eventually fall asleep. Okay. Well, now I don't have that problem anymore because I went and sought that proper help. Yep. Had some nerve impingement that you had to work out. Exactly, exactly right. Yep. yep. Steps rotate, rocking back on the spine and such, and and uh, getting my back cracking that all in line, and then doing planks and doing supermans, a uh, bunch of different exercises. And then even on that too, it's like, well, the exercises are giving me working out. So what else can I do? Since so like these have kind of have kind of plateaued. So like, let's what else can I do that's a different movement that could open up continue opening up my lower body because i want to go out i'm going out to beaver utah which my listeners have heard you barely know about this so yep. it's like but it, mountain archery fast it's like it's a, right it starts at the, the whole t- base camps at ten thousand feet and it goes <laughs> all the way up to 12 something 12 5 well i need to be in shape for that and also need to get myself worked up for a um, proper oxygen juice oxygen juice in my blood 
yep. to be able to perform at that. Because my biggest fear is I'm going to get altitude sickness. Sure. I, I just listened to a podcast with Melissa Bachman where she was at like something like, I, don't, I can't remember the exact height, but she got sick. And, it's, and the, the worst part about it is there's nothing you do about it. You actually, until you go below your threshold. Yep. You guys are driving out, right? We are, yes. That'll help. Yes. So we're, That'll help. We're, so we're drive, So I'm driving to Sioux Falls, and that's why I've kind of been asking anybody here in Wisconsin, because like, if you can at least get to West Salem, you can park your vehicle, and you can come with me the rest of the way. Sure. And as long as you, long as you can fit with our, 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 our schedule, and then we're going to get out, we're going to drive all night Thursday. And then Friday is kind of a chill day, and then Saturday we're going to go out and shoot, and stuff like that. Sunday we're going to shoot, and then we'll, then we'll make, start making our way back. I mean, I took... Six days off, or the whole thing. So it's yep. like, so it's this way. It's easy, easy out, easy back. We're not rushing anything. And so right. we get sick. We have got some time. Wiggle room. Yep. Yeah. You know, you mentioned your hip, and one thing that I didn't mention was last, late last June, I actually. So I didn't know at the time, but I actually slipped a disc in my neck. Oh no! Um, and gave me some of the worst pain I've ever experienced going down my left arm. Um, all the way down to my hand and like I lost full muscle control. The, uh, like if I, I didn't know it until I tried stretching my arm straight up and I bent my arm a little bit and my hand came down and bopped me right in the head. No kidding. I lost full control of that. So actually when we met, I couldn't even shoot my bow. Um, so yeah, that you, you were explaining to that that when we were there, it, that was in August when what at the Apple. I, shoot. yeah. So, so when I, when I first met you in, in Appleton, I couldn't shoot my bow at that point because um, I couldn't draw it back. And it wasn't until August so I, when I shot the rapid shoot, I had only started shooting again about a week before that. Correct, yeah, because um, you just got a rise and you were trying to get that sighted in to yep. get comfortable behind the behind the string with that setup. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that's taken. Now, I still have some issues with that. Like I'll, I get so, still some tangling in these fingers, but I, I had went to physical therapy earlier this year. And so I've got some stretches and different things that I've been working through uh, just to try and get that loosened up. But it's uh, that's been a long, long work in progress. <laughs> oh, it really is. And it's like, but the nice thing is you can start seeing results after that three or four weeks into the whole process and, and listening to them and falling to a T yep. because it's their only job is to help you out. And if you fall to a T, you're going to, you're going to, that's one, one of the biggest things I've learned from my dad is you do not half-ass your physical therapy Yeah, because he did partial knee replacements here about 15, 20 years ago. Okay. And he and his rehab was supposed to take six months. Well, he did it in three. Plus he also had these wonderful knee braces that wrap around the knee and it either pumps hot water yep. or hot saline or cold saline. To keep it, and it's like that's that allowed him to basically cut his rehab in half. Okay. And plus, he had a phenomenal surgeon to yeah. help go in there and take care of his knees. Yeah. Well, I mean, and knee surgeries, especially modern day, if his was 15, 20 years ago, but you know, modern day ones, they're up walking around within an hour. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife works in a surgical center. So, I mean, oh, she sees okay. these people. Every single day. I mean, she's a pharmacist, so she's on the, on the medication side and um, helping them out there. Um, but she's going in and talking to these people after the surgery, and they're leaving within hours. It, it's crazy Isn't how that something it's incredible. We're like I remember hearing family members in the nineties having to spend almost a week there going through rehab. Yeah. My dad was only I think he was in there for like three days or something like that, a very quick turnaround. And now, like you said, it's yeah. like it's amazing how things how fast that turn yeah. modern medicine 
has advanced for that particular surgery. But yeah, they found, I mean, the sooner you're up and moving, the, the faster it can get, it can heal and get the inflammation out of there and start healing itself. Oh yeah. The body's incredible. Oh, it is. <laughs> and, and a proper pillows. Yeah. Yeah. A proper pillow will make your, it will, it will change your life. That is the best part. Yep. My wife doesn't know this, but I took her pillow this weekend because <laughs> my pillow is, it's like, I get the memory phones one, but it's like. It's it only has a certain lifespan, and, it, and, then, it, and then it just it's no longer useful for me at least for my heavy head. But I swapped it out with hers, and it's like well, a lot of my neck problems went away, and my spine problems went away. So I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you know, but so she, well, she just got home today, so it's like I don't know if she's gonna, she'll 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 find <laughs> out tonight, if, 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 depending on how well it works. But she always thought that the pelvis were expensive. Like, they're thirty bucks a piece, forty yeah. bucks a piece. Yep. But considering you sleep on it every night for eight hours and, and when you look at that cost per hour difference it's like it's 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 pennies yes. it really truly is and then yep. it's like investing in good shoes good orthopedics all this stuff plays because like my dad used to work on, on concrete for 30 uh, 40 some odd years on concrete and so his biggest thing is never get cheap boots and, and always replace your insoles yep even if you're even if you're working a desktop, replace them. That's why I get the nice doctor. I get the I've been using Doctor Scholl's now for over a decade, and I swap them out about about that five four and a half five months out because usually you can get about six. But I just need to swap them out and get yep. new ones. And they're not. But it's like the amount of thousands of dollars it will save you on a twenty dollar piece of equipment. You, you got you got to bite the bullet and just do it. Well, I mean, some people overlook that. But if you buy go buy a pair of tech, go buy an expensive pair of tennis shoes. So, I mean, go drop 200 bucks on a pair of tennis shoes. Okay. Stick your fingers in there, pull out the stock insert. It's nothing. It's nothing. I mean, you're buying this fancy shoe, but yet the insert that's in there is, it's a joke. It's just a glorified sweat catcher is yeah. all it is. Um, so, I mean, it, having something in there for, I mean, for anyone who's slightly overweight or maybe there's something with with your gait that you know you're not walking or maybe you're flat-footed whatever it is if you have anything going on throughout the body or you sit at a desk and then you, you stand up and you're stiff having your feet be able to be properly positioned for walking makes a world of difference on the entire body oh yeah and on top of it too it's like i used to for for the longest time i'd have my chair up at a certain height by the max height well then it's like well then i started noticing my feet are not flat on mm -hmm. the ground. Yep. Well, now I'm putting all the extra stress in. So it's like I drop my seat down. I drop it down so this way my hips are 90 degrees with my knees and my feet are 90 degrees with the floor. Because right. this way you're not putting all the extra tension on the top tendons and the bottom tendons and stuff like right. that. And acupuncture, that is a hidden gem. The people that <laughs> don't know about acupuncture, I used to have um, uh, planters in both my feet and I also had golfer's elbow for my, for my, for our, my left arm, so my brace arm. And I almost gave up archery because it became so painful. I one treatment, problems are done. Hmm. One treatment. I gave that guy a forty dollar tip because it's like because <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna see him again. Yeah, and that's a good practitioner. Yep. Because his whole idea is like if, if we get this done, it's like you may never see me again. You may not ever. And it's like sure, he was right. But yeah, one treatment, planners is gone. The elbow is fixed because like I was shooting a Hoyt Factor Thirty Four because I like a longer axle axle because I like the forgiveness of it. Well, then, and then it's like, well, because of the elbow, I, was, I found out that Elite does an 85% let off. So I bought that. It's like, so I really, that's why I have it. That's why I'm still shooting to this day. I've had the boat for uh, five, 
five going on six years. Yeah. I just keep on replacing the strings. The limbs are doing really well, but that's that's if you pay, if you properly take care of your equipment, then you're going to have that longevity. Absolutely. Now, question for you. Well, since yes. you've been on this this uh, health journey and stuff like that, has yeah. your wife joined, a, joined with you too to better herself as well? Because I know that could be a big deal breaker for a lot of people where – like it happens a lot when people get life, uh, lap band or stomach reductions on that. It's like a seventy percent divorce rate because they're they're trying to make their life better, but the spouse is not. Yeah, and so it really has to be a team effort. Yeah, well, you need the support of your spouse. That's it, that valid point they, too. They, they need to be on board with whatever it is that you're doing. Um, doesn't mean they have to be on the same journey, but they need to at least be willing to support yours and respectful too, as well. Yes. Yep. And and my wife's been a hundred percent behind me the whole way. Um, so I mean, one thing she loved me when I was 300 pounds and I mean, she loves me just as much to this day. So even more, not because I've lost weight, but because we've been together longer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so just like all women, like seeing their men better themselves and stuff like that. And and, like, they want a good woman will want a man to be a man. Yeah. And that is something that is something that is, is it's, I think it's coming back. I think that mentality is slowly coming back into the realms like as We've noticed that life is a lot more expensive if you're single. Uh, the mortgage rates are like trying to buy a house is really ridiculous, even if you're married. Yep. So it's like you really got to develop that foundation again to be able to have a, a long term. Because I think people think like when they get married, it's settling. But really, it's actually it's, it's, it's a whole new journey because I, I tell people this consistently, even in this podcast, marriage is by far the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Being a parent is easy because it's like, it's like now my daughter's 10. It's like. She's self-sufficient. She goes to clean up for herself. Goes to take a bath, take a shower, yep. whatever. And she know, and she's hungry. She lets me know. Um, and so that's the best part. But now, as a husband, man, it's like because it's like you. It's do you want peace or do you want to be right? <laughs> <laughs> and that is, uh, you know, uh, Steve or uh, Randy Newberg is really big in that that whole type of attitude. But it's also on top of that, like you'll run out of health before you run out of wealth, and he's very he's big into that aspect of it too. Taking yep. care of yourself and becoming the best person you can be, you know, I want that for every man and woman. Yeah. Well, one thing that I would say, kind of going back to what you were saying there, is when it, when you talk about the your your wife being, um, I don't know about saying impressed or anything like that, but just wanting their husband to better themselves. It's not so much the fact that you, you've lost weight or, you, you know, you look better or there's a better chance you'll live longer or any of that. It's your behavior. And when you take action to go out and intentionally improve yourself. Now, you don't have to be overweight to need to improve yourself. I'm sure I, most people out there have something they could work on. We right. all have our weaknesses. Yes. So whatever that is, if you work on it, for me, it was my health, losing weight. Um, and working on health and fitness in general. But as you work on it, you develop a new confidence. And that new confidence comes through in everything that you do. So, I mean, for me, I'm a more confident in, individual. i letting that show through as a husband when I'm, when I'm talking to my wife and we're having conversations. Um, I'm being more open with her. I'm, I'm just being a better partner to her. I'm being a better father to my daughters, uh, being more engaged, more active. Um, and I mean, they, they see what I'm doing too. They, um, so I, I know we haven't touched on it, but when I did 75 hard earlier that, this year, that was my next segue. It was like, is 
because I wanted you to continue. Like, I figure like this a good transition point is like I want to talk about seventy five hard because you did that prior to doing elk shape. Uh, doing yeah, prior to the elk shape camp. Um, but uh, the so I mean seventy five hard. We my daughter would be would be laying her down at night. She's she was she just turned six earlier this year. Um, and you know, talking to her in that bed, um, and she, it got to the point where she said, daddy, are you going to go for your walk now? I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to go out for my walk now. You're going to bed. I'm going to go for my walk now. Um, and so, I mean, that was, it, it was cool to see that, that she would ask that and she, she fully understood. And there were times that we would have conversations too. Like, well, daddy's trying to make sure that I'm, I'm healthy. So I, when, when you want to go run around and I can do that without worrying about it, that uh, just something as simple as that. But it, the, the confidence piece, it, it makes you just better in everything you do when you're overcoming something that may have held you back. Valid. That's a, that's a great perspective right there. So now uh, with 75 Hard, what was some of the key aspects of it? Because they do that through, is that is that part of First Form or is that separate? Is that a separate entity? So uh, 75 Hard, I, I, don't, I didn't read the book. Um, there is a book that's, I think it's just called 75 hard, but that's written by Andy Frisella. Okay. Um, and he's what is it, founder CEO. I, I don't know the full background. Um, so for anyone listening, I might be wrong on anything I'm saying here, <laughs> full disclosure. But um, the fact is I, I'm pretty sure he's the one who he, he wrote the book. He's either the founder or president, something like that of first form. Oh, all right. That's where the, yep. that's, that's where the connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they're connected. There's a lot of crossover between First Form Supplements and that company and people doing 75 hard. Um, there's a strong crossover there. Um, and so that's uh, that's the connection there. But um, far as how I got into it, I actually wasn't going to I actually wasn't going to do it. Um, there was uh, a few guys that I know online that were that were going to do it. Um, Jonathan, actually, another Jonathan, Redbeard Outdoors. Yes, uh, yes. I listened to his podcast with, um, oh, who was it with? It was with uh, oh, Hunting Stories podcast with, um, oh, what's his name? I was on his podcast a few weeks ago. But yeah, I listened okay. to him as what that listened to his story and such. And it was very, it's very interesting. He's a very well rounded guy and his story about being out west or being living in the east and moving out west and like getting behind it and yep. being in hunting. And it's just, it's, it's, and his, his friend being a getting him into something he had no idea what was, was going to yeah. happen. Well, it, it was conversations with them, him that I actually nudged me to go ahead and do it. Good. Um, so I, I credit him for that. But um, that's that's what started. I started mid January, um, so it, it wrapped up right at the beginning of April. Um, is when I did my seventy five days, and that was it. Wasn't <laughs> there's a reason it's called seventy five hard. It's not easy. Uh, it's not easy, but it's, uh, you learn and you grow through it. Um, I would say the hardest part for me personally was the number of times where I had to sacrifice sleep, like going to bed late just to make sure that I got all the requirements in on a daily basis. Um, that's the hard part is not having a day off in the middle. Like if you could do 75, 75 days, but you could take a day off and just pick up on your 75 a day later, a lot more people would get through it. But that's not what it's meant to do. It's a mental toughness program with a great side of health benefits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, 
I, I think I read five books wallet or four and a half books during the, the process. Um, I lost. Uh, so I guess backing up earlier, I said, you know, I was in that 260, 265. That's where I was at at the beginning of the year. I think I weighed 264. Okay. Uh, right at the beginning of the year. Well, right at the end of 275, or excuse me, 75 hard, I was down to 233. Wow. That's what I weighed in on the last That's day. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, part of that was water weight. I expected when I started eating a maintenance diet again that I was going to put on some pounds right away, which I did. I'm up about eight, between eight and 10 pounds, depending that's, on the day. That's what normal is. Like, yeah. when, when I listened to like, uh, the breakdown of like when people go through the, the weight loss surgery and getting a lap band or whatever, you will, your body will find a happy medium for you and stuff like that. But trying to continue being lower, because I think uh, for my height is like being 200, 210 is peak performance. But my body is really comfortable at 220. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's just it. I mean, our, our bodies, the more you read about it and the more you learn about it, it's fascinating how adaptable our bodies are, but at the same time, how opposed to change they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, that's the best part about it. You know, discipline equals freedom. And I tell people it's like, or I really, I really, uh, I really like the Jocko Willink's, uh, focus on that, like discipline equals freedom. Cause it's like, Motivation fades. It will always, yes. it, 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 it'll fail you. But discipline's where it's all. And if you're tired, you got to get up and do it. Like my 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 legs been hurting ever since Tuesday after the after my masseuse. She, she she did some good work on it, so it was a good hurt. Yeah. But it's like today I was struggling going up and through the hills. And this is a very um, uh, minor course compared to like Oshara and a few other ones that are all across Wisconsin. And, but I had to put. I, I was not gonna. I was not gonna sit on the side. I was like, I was gonna get out there and work it because I need to continue pushing myself. And this is in plus. Want to shoot my bow and I want to shoot my PS my PS twenty threes because yep. they're really fun to shoot. Is is and it's really cool. Like when at, when you're when you're at full draw and everything sinks right in and you, you're you're all in uh, unison. And that twelve hits is like man, this is great. <laughs> so it's like the nice thing is you get those twelves. Like okay, I can do this. I yep. can hit those twelve. Now it's got to continue practicing, follow those exact same steps because it's all about repetition and the discipline of making sure to do it. And I tell my daughter she start she 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 shoots bow too. And whenever she lets it down, it's like good call. I, I always compliment her or tell her that you did it, you did the right thing because like I don't want you to do all bad habits. Yep. Yeah. Hey, the way you practice is the way you're going to shoot in the stressful situation. Correct. So, so you, you, really, you really need do. you need to. It's not it's not perfect practice. I mean that's kind of a. I don't know. I kind of laugh at that because but you have to practice and you have to practice how you're going to shoot how you want to shoot in the real world. Because if you just, if you try and practice different, that's the habit you're going to develop. Yes. So. And we've all, we've all heard the things like the, uh, diminishing returns. Like I, I was, I used to shoot until my muscles got to the point where it's like, if I'm forcing the shot or if I'm pushing the shot, I'm going to develop the bad habits. And so it's like, well, I'm done for the night. I did really well. I shot really consistently practicing at, at 30 40 and wherever i'm shooting at so it's like that's the the idea behind my my approach when, I, when i'm shooting yeah yeah i mean today what are the 28 28 targets 28 yes. targets yeah that that was enough for me for the first one by by those last few i could tell my my shoulder was feeling it <laughs> hey 
it was one of those where I'm like, yeah, like, would have I gone out for a second run? Yeah, I probably would have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably would have regretted it, too. <laughs> but I, I could tell there was certainly some fatigue on those muscles shooting that many times and just going around and doing that. But Have I sent you the workout that Meryl Targets created? I don't think so. I'll send it to you. It's it's nine. It's it's all about developing um, consistency and and stamina in your muscles for doing those consistent. And the, the workouts are very low impact. You can even do them in your house too. They they're, they they like in the run. shoulder muscles. Yeah, shoulder okay. muscles, but also it teaches you how to use your lower back, your hips, and and posture. Because it, it's a nine step workout, and if you do the entire workout in one setting, the very last one, number nine, is doing seated rows. It, it will your all of your muscle groups at work will fire in unison and it's like it, it will be a very hard thing <laughs> and my idea was is like i wanted to keep it's like i kept on pushing myself I'm like well and it was like i'm looking at the rows like oh, i did 10 all right see if i can do 15 then yeah I do 20 and then like when you get to 55 and 60 it's like your body is like you're just like I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> but that's what it is it's not designed to put on bulk it's just to help you have that stamina so when it's when you're at a full draw and like you have to, and you have an elk wait for you to get to move your shot, and you can't set it down. You're gonna you're gonna be set, and you're gonna full draw. And it's like you you don't want to be shaking and, yep. <laughs> and all that fun stuff. So it's like when I shot my buck a couple of years ago, it took me it probably took about thirty seconds to forty five seconds before the deer gave me a shot, and I was at full draw the majority of the time, waiting for the opportunity to present itself. Yeah, what it did, double lunged it, it dropped forty yards. I couldn't ask for a better couldn't ask for a better shot. Yeah. If it wasn't because it didn't double lung them, I would have never found the deer because there was zero blood. <laughs> zero blood. Yeah. But that's the thing. It was like I hit him above the shoulder and just drilled him. If it was a little bit heavier FOC, I would have kind of had a complete pass through. Well, then I would have a whole pool of blood. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about elk sheep. Tell me about that camp. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a couple weeks ago. Actually, so this was base camp. We were over at Vortex. Uh, is where where we were so that was uh for anyone who doesn't know elk shape uh dan staten he has a podcast out there he has a whole brand elk shape focused on that's that's how focused I, on hard work because after <laughs> i listened to you at hta usa i went and listened to that one too because like he was very supportive with it i i, I was actually craving more it's like he kind of capped it at an hour but you yeah. may have had some time to um necessities so this way you, you didn't want it you had probably had something to go on because you guys were had a really carried out a really good conversation he provided a lot of good feedback on what to do and he was real it's like you could hear in his voice that it was like he was excited for you that you wanted to put yourself in in an uncomfortable position to take home a massive prize which is the meat yeah yeah i mean he's been nothing but supportive i've i've communicated with him since so i he's been nothing but helpful in in this whole whole journey and um i mean one thing that I that I'll say, and he said this to me, and and I've said it about myself, but I I try not to, I try not to sound boastful, but it's like I did the work, and, and so I that's the that's the thing that I think gets lost on on some people um, when you're trying to figure out starting a journey like that. It's like you can absorb as much of the knowledge as you need, and you can take as many of the recommendations as you need. But you still need to do the work. Doesn't have to be great. I already said doesn't need to be perfect. Just needs to be better. Yes. Yeah. Just like better said, every day. And the biggest thing that I think that anybody listens to this podcast is like to this one in particular consistency. Consistency yeah. is key. Yeah. If you're sixty percent better than the day before. You're, you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Just get better every day. Make better choices. 
It's it's a it's a lifetime journey. It's not it's not a seventy five day diet. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you so at, at the camp? Yeah. What what how, how is it all broken down to to get you ready for a hunt? Yeah. So the the camp very educational. Um, is the it's a it's a lot of education. Um, they're trying to expose your weakness is what they're trying to do. So um, at the the Wisconsin camp that I was at, um, we had Joel Turner of Shot IQ. Uh, he came and, and we had he was breaking down our shot process and trying to help us blueprint that, going through and, and teaching us about shooting techniques. Um, so we had a lot of time focused on that. We had conversation around e-scouting and getting elk tags. I mean, it's elk shape, so we only focused on elk, um, but uh, focus on getting elk tags and being able to hunt elk every year. Um, unless you're able to get an over-the-counter tag, you you going to have to make plans to hunt different states or different units. Um, so, I mean, there was conversation around that. We had elk calling, talking about hunt budget. Um, we had arrow signs, iron will, um, iron will bill. He, he was there talking about arrows, broadheads, and, and shooting signs from that perspective. Uh, so a lot of great information there. Uh, Dan talked about his strategies, you know, getting into elk and being able to to stay in, stay into elk and be mobile and be able to find elk on a regular basis. Uh, so there's, it was very educational. There was, of course, I mean, it's elk shape. There was certainly a fitness component um, where we talked about, you know, we went through a workout. Um, we talked about being in shape getting in shape as best you can. Uh, talked about diet, a diet piece. So, I mean, it was an action-packed weekend that was nonstop for two and a half days. <laughs> Of just, you know, in your face, education, shooting, learning, practicing. So there there was certainly a lot of information that was thrown out. I've I've got a book of notes that I've kind of gone through a few times now and, and just looking through them just to continue getting it in my brain and trying to implement everything that I've been learning and changing things that I need to change. So yeah, it, it should. Yeah. motivated to buy an elk target so you can start, start practicing. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish I could put one in my backyard. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so nice? It's like I, we haven't we haven't bought a house because specifically, as I told you, like I'm not going to buy a house in town. I want to buy want to. It doesn't have to be a big acres, but it's like it could be like three or four acres. Yeah, something where I can just walk out my back door, grab some arrows, grab my bow, and just launch some arrows. Like uh, my good friend Ben uh, Klusman from Sodak Horizon, man. I love his. I, I tell I tell Ben every time it's like he's out there shooting. It's like if I live closer, your wife would be wondering why all of a sudden there's a target showing up. <laughs> just because it's like because I'd, I'd love to be able to just continue improving upon what he has. He got himself a new one, but it's like it's, it got you can drop bombs out to 100 yards, and it's yep. like it's just awesome. And all of his his uh, his oldest boy is shooting with us too. He's just absolutely the sweet kid. Uh, that's why we're going to Mount Archery Fest because. Yep. Uh, ben Waldell, Brandon Waldell is like he's a big family guy. I mean, he has nine kids. Wow! And, and that's what he brought behind it. So that's why he wants. That's why he's created math the way it is, is because he wants everybody to be there. He doesn't want people to be sitting in line waiting for you shoot for three minutes and all of a sudden now you got to wait an hour to shoot your next target. Right. So he's he's really done a good job of adding four cart courses and their various ranges from two to sixty, and then the most the more the, the expert one or the advanced one. It has all the way up to 100 yards and such. But they're not designed to take you seriously in real-life scenarios, but it's just to put you in that situation to be able to get those arcs out there to just kind of have that muscle memory. Because if you're shooting at 100 yards, you divide that in half, you're gonna, that's a chip shot at 50. Right. 
Right. I mean, you practice long range, it makes it a lot easier to shoot mm-hmm. them nice and close. I read an article in Peterson Bow Hunting right when it first started happening. It's like whatever distance you're going to be hunting at, you want to double that. So if you're going to, be, I've read that too. Yeah. I don't know if I read the article, but I've heard that at least. This is, I, you, it could have been the same one too, but it's only yeah. like a page now. Very straightforward, easy to go on. But it's like if you're going to be shooting at 40 yards, shoot at 80. If you're going to be shooting at 30, shoot at 60. That's why when ranges around here in the Midwest have 40 yard ranges, an average person is going to shoot at 20. So when when that white tail shows up and you dr- and that and you put that pin out or whether it be a, or a bear too or a bot or bot lion, whatever you, you get drunk because you here in Wisconsin we have elk, but yep. for us to be once in a lifetime, so it's like yep. for, for residents it's just a ten dollar tag. It's like well I don't get drawn. It's like I'll just keep just ten bucks, ten bucks. I'm putting it every year. Oh yeah, I've, oh I've I've been. I'm still waiting for my call. I think I should be getting that soon. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, if you get drawn, you let me know. I will, I will help you pack. Out now. <laughs> Sounds I, cause good. Because it's like I always want to. If I if I'm I'm trying to get drawn to myself, but it's like having the opportunity to actually break down an animal like that. I had yeah. uh, last year. Uh, said for several friends they got fall bear tag, and I told them like, you shoot a bear, you let me know because I will drive up there because it's like I may never have an opportunity to get uh, shoot a bear, but just having the experience to. To get inside the cavity and pull off the fur and, and like ex- being exposed to it, like that's right. a real memory right there to be yep. able to, to cherish and go out and plus you're sharing with friends. Yeah, absolutely. And it turns into a podcast for anybody. So why not? <laughs> but it's just that whole thing. It's like this is our opportunity to enjoy what what our ancestors, like our great grandparents, our great great uh, grandparents, did to help us have what we have today. Yeah, with sacrificing and letting decades go by before tags became now we're, we're literally hunting in the golden years of hunting right now yeah hunting's conservation man yeah so now you i take it you recommend doing elk shape to to go into their courses to learn about how to ply and everything they teach them. i think if someone's looking to elk hunt and they are really looking to up their learning curve um accelerate it that's that's the biggest thing that i would take away from it not only do i feel like I am probably, you know, three to five years of tag soup ahead of where I could be. Um, But I also have a network of, you know, 20 to 30 people like-minded. Now, some of them came as hunting partners, so I'm not saying that's a a full hunting partner pool. Uh, But one of the guys that I connected with, we're planning to go on an elk hunt this year. Um, So, I mean, it's there's certainly that possibility as well. So I, I think if someone is, whether they're new or whether they have some experience, um, you know, I think it, listen to Dan's podcast, listen to Elk Shape podcast. If you like what he's talking about, yeah, go go to the camp, learn for yourself, be ready to be soak it up through a fire hose. It's gonna, there's a lot of knowledge that comes at you. You just got to soak it up, take notes, and and be ready to go for it. Fantastic. Now, is there anything that we haven't discussed yet today that you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? No, man, I, I don't think so. I, I've, I've got a ways to go. I'm still on a weight loss journey. I, I'm good. For me, it's got a couple more months of trying to lose some more weight, and then it's just going to be focusing on performance heading into the fall to make sure I'm in as best a physical condition as I can be for whatever weight I'm at at that point. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's a good So that's where I'll be. And I mean, here we are. We, we already shot our first round of the HHA USA shoot for this yeah. year, and so... I don't know how many more I'll be shooting. I, I doubt I'll be out for Toma, so I probably won't get to come see you there. But mm-hmm. regardless, I'm ask, looking if you, forward. If you, make, if you can make it out to on Friday, uh, we're doing a big, uh, massive barbecue. And it's in, in 
I was going to invite you, but you know, it is, it is across the state. So I can understand. Well, my big thing is that Friday happens to be my wedding anniversary. Oh, no, 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 yeah, that's, that's, no, you do no, not we, want to divorce? we, we have, we have the PTO, but no, we're, we're, um, I don't know what we're doing yet, but we're going to be doing something as a family. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I would definitely do that. Yeah. That's why like, like Labor Day weekend, like I'm lucky my wife likes to shoot too. And my daughter likes to shoot. So yep. like, we're, we, we can plan these fun events around doing a lot of fun stuff like uh, last year for our anniversary, we went down and shot Blackhawk Archers in Waterloo, which is Tyson and Kayla's home field. That is a diamond in the rough. Okay. But in Iowa, it is, it, it's absolutely a beautiful course, really well laid out. They have shots where you can drop out to 100 yards plus. Okay. You know? uh, that was the first event where my wife, Leisha, was really confident actually dropping, dropping arrows at 60, 70 yards, which is like... As as somebody that likes to see somebody grow, it's like that's just a big win for her to have those that that um, the confidence boost that she can do it. It's like it's like we're listening and say, oh, that, that's foam it, it, that works. It's like start small, and we start we we start fine tuning it from there. Yeah, it's fun letting those long bombs go and just wait a second before you hear it actually hit foam. <laughs> I know all three of us were trying to get a, like we weren't going to take a picture until we uh, till we all got twelves. Yeah, and it was, but it was always like it was two out of three, one out of three. It is what it is. Well, John, this was a fantastic conversation. I've been looking forward to to like doing this pop. Like I was going to do a podcast, but I want to do it face to face just because it's so much better than over Zoom. Oh, it's fun. It's yeah. fun talking in, in person too. Fantastic, and it's good to see you. And, in, and those who want to reach out to you, like via Facebook or, or Instagram, I know you have yep. both. Would you do? Would you mind sharing your socials to let people know? Yeah. So Instagram, Facebook, those are the the two that I'm on. Uh, Jonathan McLinn on Facebook. You should be able to find me under that on Instagram. But it, my handle is J McLinn. So J M C G L I N underscore O B T O P O. The nice thing is this so. stuff is going to be in the show notes too. So. This way, those folks can go and check out your, your information. Also, go to the link in my bio. Go to the HSAUSA.org and you can see the entire lineup of the, all the, the remaining um, shoots for this year. And um, uh, Chris gave me a little snippet for next year. Oh, I'm excited Whoa. for it. I, uh, he, nothing's public yet, so I can't say anything about it. But he told we talked this morning for a few minutes before we went to the field. You better shut that off. We yeah. need to chat. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> well, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. I want to say thank, thank you for everybody tuning in. Please go like and follow and share his stuff. Encourage him on his weight loss journey. And then also, if you have questions about what he's done, because everybody's strategy will be different, but you never know until you ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Find your own way and do it.